Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Welcome to Gateway Redlands. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, As Kath said, everyone who comes through those doors uh, is welcome and he's alive. Amen. He is alive, he is risen, he's doing well. I spoke to him this morning, you know, and he's doing just great. And today we serve a risen king. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. We're going to revisit the resurrection story as told by Matthew in his New Testament gospel. And it is found in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. You can read it on the screen and you might still get an Easter egg after the service as well. Uh, But let me uh, take you back to the resurrection story as recorded by Matthew in chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. And it goes a little something like this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. May God add his blessing to that reading uh, this morning. Uh, in 2011, uh, I had the privilege of touring Israel, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time there, retracing the footsteps of Jesus and visiting some of the sites that, uh, that we read about uh, in the Bible. And uh, there's uh, some uh, information in the Bible about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and more so uh, the actual location of these things. And if you were to take the information that Scripture gives uh, about you know, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it may lead you to one of two places. And uh, when it came to the, uh, to the burial and resurrection side of Jesus, it would lead you to either a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or a place called the Garden Tomb. And uh, when I was in Israel, I went to both the Church of the Holy Sepulchre but I also went to the garden tomb. And I remember as I walked into the garden itself, I remember just this overwhelming sense of God's presence flooding in my heart and in my soul. And as I went and stood at the, uh, the entrance to what many believe to be the garden tomb, uh, something just felt right in my spirit. 
Something just, just felt right to me. And in all honesty, I sensed the presence of God right there at the front of the tomb more than ever before, and that remains true to this very day. And I remember as I stood, uh, you know, in the general vicinity uh, of the entrance to this garden tomb, the place where many people believed Jesus was laid to rest, but then also resurrected, I began to pray, I began to worship, I began to reflect a little bit uh, on the burial and resurrection of Jesus, but then my mind began to go back to that time when the two Marys arrived at the tomb. And when they arrived to see an angel of the Lord sitting on this big stone that had been rolled away, and they heard the news that the one that they were looking for was not there. He was not there, but in fact, he had risen. And I began to think about the excitement that overwhelmed them, the joy that took over them as they received the good news that this Jesus that they have come to love but sadly was crucified was once again alive. And, and it, was, um, it was quite a moving experience for me at the garden tomb. And this morning, you know, I, I wanted, you know, this, this, is, this is a time of joy. This is a time of excitement. You know, when we think about the Easter story and what it has done for us, it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to put a big smile on our face, to high-five those next to us. Or if you're a cool kid like me, you do the fist bump. You know, it's a time to celebrate because there is a lot of excitement in the Easter story, and the two Marys are an example of that. And just for a few minutes before we get into the hot cross buns, Catholic, and before I start throwing Easter eggs out like a madman, all you kids, I'll fill you in on that in a second, I thought I would take you back to that time so that we can experience somewhat of the excitement that the two Marys felt that day when they arrived at the tomb, found it empty, and received the news that this Jesus is alive. And my hope and prayer is that you too will feel that excitement and you'll leave this place high five and fist bump and sharing Easter eggs. Actually, I ain't sharing mine, so don't worry about that one. And you walk out of here with a little something, something to be excited about. That's what I want to do this morning. But before I go any further, can I acknowledge the kids in the house? Can we put our hands together for the children here this morning? Kids, I just want you to know that this sermon's only going to go for about an hour and a half. So uh, hang in there. I'm just kidding. I've made it a short one because I know what you like. You find Pastor Jason boring sometimes, and you're not the only one. But I've got a bit of a challenge for all the children here in the building today. If you can listen to my sermon and remember some things that I say, at the end of it, I'm going to ask a few questions. And if you get the answer right... You might just find yourself walking out of here with one of these bad boys. All right? So I want you to listen. If you need to take notes, you can. Don't cheat by listening to what your mum and dad tell you at the end. I want you to do your best to listen. Answer my questions correctly. They need to be correctly. Not everyone's a winner here at Gateway Redlands. There's first, second, or third. That's it. All right? I shouldn't talk like that. Um, but that is the challenge I want to give to all the kids here this morning, all right? So if you listen up, you might walk out of here with one of those big, uh, big Easter eggs. Let me take you back to the excitement that the two Marys, and in particular Mary Magdalene, 
would have felt on that day when she received the news that Christ was alive. Just, just think about it for a second. Mary Magdalene had witnessed the ministry of Jesus. She had listened to so much of what he had said. In fact, she had this unique opportunity to see the ministry of Jesus unfold right before her very eyes. And there's a few things that she came to know and a few things that she found to be true in this Easter story. And the first one is this. It's a bit of a clue, you kids. Whenever I start naming things kids, that's a bit of a clue. All right, I'm helping you out today. I'm a nice pastor. Yes, I am. But the first thing that Mary Magdalene came to know about the Easter story is that Jesus really died. Jesus really died. You know, the scriptures tell us that on that day where Jesus was crucified, Mary was there in attendance. In fact, Jesus spoke to her along with a couple of other people. She witnessed firsthand the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. She was there. She was there when they dragged him as his beaten, bloodied body, when it was hung on a cross, when the when the spear pierced his side, she was there to witness all of that firsthand. She knows that Jesus really died. And the reason I want to start with this point is because throughout history, there have been some people who, in an attempt to disprove the resurrection, have tried to tell us that this Jesus didn't actually die, that he didn't actually die. You know, these Roman soldiers who were trained and who were experts in crucifying people had somehow got this one wrong. They had messed it up. They didn't do their jobs properly. And Jesus just looked dead as he hung there on a cross. But maybe, and possibly, he was merely unconscious. And then after that, you know, a couple of days later, three days later to be exact, you know, he, 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 he was resuscitated. And then he stood to his feet with pounds of burial clothing on him. And then he began to hobble over toward the entrance with his nail-pierced hands and feet, with his back all bloodied up. And somehow he moved this stone away. And then he snuck past these trained security guards and he ran off. I'm telling you now, that scenario requires more faith than the resurrection story itself. But there are some people over the years who have tried to disclaim or disprove the resurrection story by saying that Jesus never really died. But Mary, she saw it. She knows that he did. This Jesus really died. You know, once again, as I was over in Israel, you know, I was able to visit a lot of different sites. The garden tomb was one, but I was also able to visit uh, the place of the crucifixion, or one of the places that historians believed it took place. It was a place called Golgotha, or in Latin, Calvary, which means the place of the skull. And uh, the Bible gives us a lot of information about this place and what it looked like. Obviously, uh, one, people thought, some people think that, that this uh, also took place in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or at least where that area is. But there's another location just outside the uh, city walls of Jerusalem, and it's a bus stop. One thing that really troubled me when I was in Israel is that most of those historical biblical sites that we read about have either been purchased by the Roman Catholic Church or neglected by the locals. 
And one of the evidence or the proofs of this neglect is one of the other possible sites, probably the most likely site for the crucifixion of Jesus, and that was at a local bus stop. And I remember going to this bus stop, and I remember as I walked toward it, I looked up, and and as I looked toward this rock face, I saw what looked to be the top part of a skull. And remember Golgotha or Calvary, which means the place of the skull, and on top of it was a hill, and on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. There you go, all those who have been in the church game for a long time. I began to think, yeah, that, that does look like a skull. Once again, something in my spirit, not everyone's, but my spirit said, I reckon that was the place where my saviour was killed. And I got a bit closer and I took a photo and you're probably thinking, come on, Jace, that's a bit of a stretch. Where's the skull in that? But if you go back a distance and if you were to Google it, I don't encourage you to Google everything to do with the Christian faith, but if you were to do that, you'd actually see that the two holes, the little caves with the eyes of the skull that has obviously deteriorated over time, but this is the place that many believe to be Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull. And then on the top there would have been the place where many crucifixions took place, including that of Jesus. He was really buried. Uh, sorry, he really died. And, uh, and that was the truth that Mary came to discover. You know, think about the excitement of her journey. Firstly, she had witnessed this Jesus who had taught some amazing things, who, who performed amazing miracles. You know, and she began to think, is this the guy? This might be the one. This might be the Messiah that's been foretold for so many years. This could be him. The excitement brewed. And then he was killed, gutted, absolutely gutted. She knows for a fact that this Jesus really died. But then secondly, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to all the children in the house. But then secondly, Mary not only knew that Jesus really died, Mary Magdalene not only knew that Jesus really died, but she also knew that Jesus was really buried. He was really buried. After the Sabbath, the two Marys went to care for the body of Jesus that lay in the tomb as they had been doing. And, and they knew where he was. They knew where the tomb was. They saw him there. They knew that he was really dead. He really died, but also that he was really buried. And the Bible talks a lot about the burial site of Jesus. It gives us a lot of clues as to where this happened. And once again, as I went to Golgotha and the garden tomb and things like that, I began to think about what Scripture said and the evidence that supports all of this. But the Bible says in regards to the burial site of Jesus, have a listen to this stuff. Man, I'm seeing kids write stuff down here this morning. This is great. I should bring chocolate every Sunday. Man, our kids will be like Jesus in no time. Anyways, um, the Bible talks a lot about the burial site of Jesus. Listen to this. Firstly, it says that it would be in a garden tomb that has never been used. And we read about this in John chapter 19, verse 41. It also says that the tomb or the burial site was located outside the then current walls of the city of Jerusalem, John 19, verse 20. And that this tomb was owned by a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, and it was cut out of rock with a large round stone door to seal the entrance. We read about this in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60, 
and Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 53. There's a lot of clues about the burial site of Jesus. And once again, as mentioned earlier, when I went to Israel, I went to the two possible locations for the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, Church of the Holy Sepulchre being one, Golgotha, Garden Tomb. And uh, although it felt right in my spirit, being surrounded with so much evidence that supported the Garden Tomb as the place where Jesus' body was laid to rest and where he resurrected was overwhelming for me. It was overwhelming for me. And you know, another one of the things that the Bible says about the burial site of Jesus in the tomb, have a listen to this one. It says in Mark 16, verse 5, and John 20, verses 5 to 6, that the tomb was big enough for more than one person, and it had a small entrance, so people had to stoop down and walk into it. And I've got another photo, hopefully it hasn't been up already, but when I went into the garden tomb, I took a picture, and this is a picture of inside the tomb. And as you can see, there are three different places where a body can be laid. And, and, and this was typical of a wealthy person like Joseph of Arimathea um, to build a tomb large enough, not just for himself, but also for family members. So they could all lay and rest together um, when that time comes. It's a, and as you can see, the entrance to it is a small round one where you had to stoop down and go into, which I also had to, being six foot but still I can't slam dunk a basketball, I was required to stoop down and walk in. You know, all the evidence that Scripture provides about the burial site of Jesus was overwhelming for me. And I know that as Mary Magdalene, who had gone on a journey, saw Jesus, heard Jesus, he was killed, heartbreak, gutted, he was really dead. She witnessed his burial, he was really buried. She was caring and tending to his body. But then one day, and here's the good news, and this is where we get to the resurrection story, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys, thirdly, she knows and she saw that Jesus really rose from the dead. He really rose from the dead. Are you getting a bit of a vibe on their journey? Witness the ministry, excited. This is the one. Oh, he's gone. He's buried. Hang on a minute. The angel's sitting on the stone. He's alive. The excitement kicks in. The joy kicks in. And they run off to tell the disciples that what Jesus said was going to happen has happened. Can you sense the excitement that is brewing within the two Marys? Once again, though, throughout the years, there have been many people who have tried to disprove the resurrection by making a whole bunch of statements that really, and I say this with all humility and love, make no sense whatsoever. Now, in order to disprove this truth that this Jesus rose from the dead, some said that the body of Jesus had been stolen. And they said that it was stolen by potentially one of three people. And the first person or the first group of people that some believe stole the body of Jesus were the Romans. And once again, this makes no sense because the Romans wanted to keep peace in Palestine. 
And stealing the body would only encourage the disciples. They wouldn't achieve what they set out to accomplish, and that is peace. So this claim makes no sense whatsoever. You know, the other claim that those who were trying to disprove the resurrection said was that the Jews stole the body. And once again, this makes no sense. You know, in Matthew chapter 27, it was the Jews that asked the Romans for a guard to stand at the front of the tomb. It was them who wanted to do that. However, the big thing is the Jews didn't want to do anything that proclaimed the resurrection because they knew about the prophecies of Jesus and they didn't want to contribute anything that claimed, uh, that supported the claims of this apparent blasphemer. So that makes no sense at all. And then finally, some people believed that the disciples stole the body. This would have to be the craziest one of them all. Why on earth would the disciples want to steal the body? Some of you are probably thinking, well, because then um, I know what you might be thinking. But the reason why this makes no sense at all is because in the very near future, the lives of the disciples would be threatened persecution kicked in. The disciples of Jesus were required to give up their faith and renounce their faith in this Jesus or else they would be killed. And guess what? They lost their lives. Why would the disciples of Jesus lose their lives and give their lives up for something they knew to be a lie? Just doesn't make sense. But what we know and what Mary saw and what we read in this text is that Jesus really died. Jesus was really buried, but then Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to 500 more. And I know for a lot of you who claim to be a follower of Jesus and have followed him and have done so for many years, you know Jesus lives within your heart because he's changed you. He's transformed you. He's filled you with joy. He's filled you with hope. He's blessed you. And you know that he is alive because he lives in you today. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living back then, not today. They'll be very old, though some have fallen asleep. You know, this Easter story is the main event in the New Testament. It's the pinnacle message of the Gospels. It sits at the core of the Christian faith. You know, Baptists, Lutherans, Reformed, Nazarenes, Unitings, Pentecostals, Presbyterians and pedestrians, they, well maybe not pedestrians, not all pedestrians, they place great value in this Easter story. It sits at the core of who we are. My friends, the tomb is empty. He is alive and the resurrection of Jesus is God's ultimate proof of his supernatural power And that brings great excitement to the Easter story. Great excitement to the Easter story. You know, in 2014, uh, I was working at the Brisbane Broncos footy club, as as some of you guys might know. 
You know, when I was working there, uh, we would often go into uh, the Brisbane Youth Detention Centre and, uh, you know, we'd play touch footy. I was a bit of a gun footy player back then. Forget the fact I was rolling with Justin Hodges and a few other people. I was the man, you know, flick passes, cut out balls, hitting holes, that whole thing. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, we were in there playing touch footy, doing some mentoring and just spending some time with young people who, uh, who had made some pretty poor decisions uh, in their life. And, uh, you know, when I was in this prison setting, I must confess, and it's probably no surprise, that it felt extremely depressing and extremely sad being in this prison setting. And as I spoke to a number of the uh, young women and young men uh, in this facility, you know, I began to sense their apathy and their hatred towards people, towards life, just towards everything in general. And I began to sense a little something of their, of their uh, surrender and their acceptance to the fact that their lives are going to mean coming in and out of prison. You know, that had already been happening. They saw it in their family. It was happening in their lives. They had resigned to the fact that they were just going to come in and out of prison for the rest of their lives, and they had no hope for a better life. They had no hope for permanent freedom. They had no hope to overcome, you know, the, the generational issues that have been happening in their family. It was very depressing and very heartbreaking to spend time with these young people who had no hope whatsoever. No hope whatsoever. And when I was there throwing flick balls, cut out passes, hitting holes and scoring multiple tries, uh, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul. And I was reminded of the fact that a lot of the New Testament letters that we have in the Bible today were written by Paul when he was in prison, right? He was in prison. And a lot of the, a lot of the writings that we have today from Paul in the Bible are filled with joy and excitement and anticipation about the future. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I was going to say I've never sat in a cell before, but sadly, that's a lie. Um, if you were to sit in a cell, you know, it's not a great place to be. It's not exciting. You don't think about joy. You don't think about peace. You don't think about a whole... How on earth was Paul? when in a prison cell, able to write with such joy and confidence and hope about the things of God. How was he able to do that? Well, here's my answer. Because he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. You all remember that, right? He had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And in fact, the resurrection is what fuels his joy is what fuels his hope and it's what fuels his belief that there's going to be a better day for him. And the Apostle Paul believed in all of his heart. And this is what I really want you to get today, church. The Apostle Paul believes that if God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then he has the power to help Paul overcome his situation in life and to make his life better. You know, because He lives, we can face tomorrow. Because He lives, we do have the ability, we do have the hope 
to overcome the sin that either separates us from God or the sin that so easily entangles us. That is what excites me about Easter Sunday. And the Apostle Paul, right, he became possessed with this idea about the resurrection power of God. He wanted it so much. Listen to what he says in a couple of his writings. And I know I'm rambling on and I'll land this for a second, in a second. But listen to what Paul says about the resurrection power. He says in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. In another letter, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 to 20, Paul says, I pray that you, that is the Christians in Ephesus, will begin to understand how incredibly great His power is to help those who believe Him. And then he goes on to say, it is the same mighty power that rose Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honour at God's right hand in heaven. What excites me about the Easter story? Well, it's, just, it's, it's the belief and it's this truth that if God had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then He has the power to help you overcome your sin. And the other thing that really excites me about this is that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me this very day. You know, we have hope that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead has the power to deliver on His promises and make our lives better. You know, this Easter story deals with the penalty of sin and it also deals with the power of sin. And man, this gives great hope to anyone that is stuck in sin. You know, I don't know what you came through those doors with here today. You know, some of you may have a sin in your life that you know has separated you from God. You know that. And you'd love to follow Jesus. You'd love to give your life to Him, but not yet because you need to quit that, stop that, get your ducks in a row before you can give this thing called following Jesus a crack. If that's the way you think, you've got it all around the wrong way. As we learn on Good Friday, Jesus invites us to come to Him, to place our sins on Him, and then you will receive the power to overcome sin. Can I get an amen? He gives you the power to overcome sin. You know what? There are some of you here who have been following Jesus for years. Following Jesus for years. Yet there is a sin that so easily entangles you. And if you're anything like me, you fall back onto the saved by grace message, which we should. That's our foundation. That's what saves us. It won't ever change. But some of us fall back and, 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 and use that to excuse the sin that so easily entangles us. But can I tell you today that if that's you, man, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is there for you today. And that power can help you overcome that sin in your life. You know, you know that in Christ we can have life and have it to the full, but there is a sin that so easily entangles and robs you of that fullness today. We can get God's power to overcome that in our lives. We really can you know, in God and by the power of His Holy Spirit, we have hope to overcome our discontentment. We have hope to overcome our gossiping. 
We have hope to overcome our unfaithfulness. We have hope to overcome our anger issues. We have hope to overcome our addictions to pornography. We have hope to overcome our addictions to alcohol. We have hope to overcome our addiction to social media. We have hope to overcome our sicknesses. We have hope to overcome our idolatry. We have hope because God raised Jesus from the dead. That power is available to you and me. So we have hope to overcome sin in our lives. That's what excites me about Easter. That's what excites me about Easter. Who wants more of God's power in their life today? Let me see a hand in the sky. Who wants more of God's power in your life today to help you overcome those things that stop you from living life to the full and being like Christ? Awesome. Why don't you just place a hand on your heart right now? Let me pray for God's power to be poured out in your life today. Father God, we acknowledge that you have all power and authority. And this morning, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill those who have raised their hand with your power. God, I pray that you would give them the power to overcome either the sin that has separated them from you or the sin that so easily entangles them. God, by your Spirit, would you fill them with power today. God, give them the know-how, give them the boldness, give them all that's required to overcome the sin in their lives. God, impart a spiritual gift, impart a spiritual blessing. God, this day, I pray that you would pour your power and your favour out upon this church. Oh God, we know that you have all things in your hand. And you have the power that rose Christ from the dead and it's available to us today. Help us to be a people who receive that, who partner with it, who surrender to it, should I say, so that you can use us in mighty ways so that all glory would be yours. God, fill us. Fill us with your power this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.